It's all in your head. You don't look sick. Your tests are normal. It's probably anxiety. There's nothing wrong with you. Have you heard these words from physicians, family, and friends? If you're someone who has been struggling and swirling through the revolving door of healthcare to find answers about your health, or if you know someone who is going through this experience, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Desperate for a Diagnosis podcast with Laura Nozika, a show dedicated to exploring the challenges of living with undiagnosed or rare medical conditions. This podcast explores both sides of the bedside, We will be speaking with patients who have had challenges with finding a diagnosis, along with experts in the field. I'm your host, Laura Nozika. Please note, I am not a medical professional, nor am I affiliated with any healthcare, pharmaceutical, or device company. I am an entrepreneur, and I am an independent market researcher focused on helping healthcare organizations better understand the patient perspective. The podcast is not meant to offer medical advice but to merely share the stories and perspectives of podcast guests. Hello, and welcome to the Desperate for a Diagnosis podcast. I am your host, Laura Nozika, and we are here today with a lovely lady named Melissa Schroeder. And she is with us to talk about her journey, her diagnostic journey, and her continuing journey with a condition called Ehlers-Danlos. I hear there's kind of a controversy on how that's pronounced or not. I've heard a few different pronunciations. How about you? Have you heard different ways to I've say it? a million different ways. I personally pronounce it Ehlers, but I mean, EDS is EDS. So we'll call it EDS for our, our conversation today. So uh, I'd like to introduce Melissa. And uh, again, she's looking lovely today. Thank you so much for for joining me. And uh, I understand today's maybe not a fabulous day, but kind of uh, kind of a demonstration on on how days go for you. So tell tell me a little bit about what's what's going on and and tell me about you first, because you do some pretty, pretty cool things and keep busy with a lot of different interesting activities. So first and foremost, my name is Melissa. I am Nation's Ms. Grant. That is a national pageant title. I've been a state title holder, I think, four or five times now. It's been a wild ride. The majority of how I spend my time is actually mostly to distract myself from pain. And so I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time volunteering around town. I can't keep your average, you know, full-time job because my health is just unpredictable. And with my Ehlers, I have very loose joints that like to, you know, pop out like a Barbie doll lip. So instead of forcing my body to behave, which is, you know, very unlikely that it will, I just kind of take things day by day and minute by minute and live life to the best possible way that I can. I absolutely love working with animals. I spend most of my volunteering time at animal shelters, animal sanctuaries, or even with my own little zoo that I have at home. Between mm-hmm. my parents' house, we have, I think, over 23 different species. And that's oh my gosh, true passion of mine. And animals are the most amazing therapeutic devices out there. They don't judge you. They can't really ask you any questions, but they support you unconditionally. And I find a lot of comfort in them. And you have a special pooch. Did you bring yeah, her she, today? Right over here, Ivory. 
you get off the chair and come this way. Let's see that baby. She's so cute. I was so happy to to meet like her looking, last week. She when we sat talked. on the chair right next to you. I'm just going to turn the camera. She does That's this fine. a lot where she'll just kind of join me in our little sitting positions. There she is. Oh, she looks so happy in that chair. And she takes Ivory. They're both my dogs, but she's. She's so sweet. Thanks for sharing. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for sharing her, her with us. She's so cute. Aww. Which I know she's a big help to you. And you were telling me a little bit about how she's trained and how attentive she is to you. Tell tell me about Ivory and her special superpowers. She is the most remarkable dog. Your typical process for getting a service dog is going through some type of organization. I know, honey. I talking about you. She's yapping. She talks. <laughs> she knows. Yeah. And I kind of came across her one day. She was not even eight weeks old yet. She was a tiny little bean and at an animal sanctuary I was volunteering at. And we just had this connection right away. And I wasn't expecting to get a dog. It wasn't really something that was really thought about. Like I always thought, you know, one day I would like to have a service dog to help me out with all these things that I go through. But I didn't really have the money for the training. I didn't have the, like, I guess the contacts in these organizations to help get a dog. And my mom recognized right away that she was just like this amazing dog. She had the most perfect demeanor and she, we just had this connection I can't even explain. And so after talking with my dad, he was like, okay, yes, you, you know, we have you caretaking for a house. You're not going to have to worry about the other animals. You'll just, you'll have her and you guys can bond and you kind of figure this out. When I tell you she is smarter than I am, I am not joking. This dog potty trained herself, picked up on all of my needs at eight weeks old, started doing medical alerts and reminders right away. And at that point, it was just you know, positive reinforcement. You're doing a great job. Continue doing what you're doing. And she's helped me through joint dislocations. When my heart goes, if I go to pass out, she makes me sit down, reminds me to take my meds every night. I mean, I don't know where I'd be without her. If I'm in, she'll just come oh. sit by me and put her head on my stomach or wherever. Or like today where I'm not doing great. I'm in pain. She's just been by my side and she knows that my in-body has fluctuations of temperature where I'm hot or my cold. And she kind of understands that. And she brings me to different places in the house to help me kind of regulate that. Wow. I just, She's amazing. Yeah, we underestimate the power of animals and how smart they really are. She, you, you both are lucky to have each other for sure. So, Melissa, I want to talk about... she. Is she uh, talking yeah, to you? Yeah, she, she's sitting on that chair and she's just like, oh, I'm talking too. Let me tell my son. Uh-huh. That's okay. That's okay. She can join us. That's all right. So, Melissa, let's talk a little bit about your journey with EDS and what some of the symptoms were that came along and how long ago and you know how you went through that journey to, to get diagnosed with, with EDS and what that was like. So, starting out when I was a kid... I was a little bit different than normal kids. Normal kids, you know, they get hurt, they heal, and they go back and they're older. Like, yeah, I broke my arm as a kid. My childhood was a little bit different. 
It was, I was constantly in pain. I was constantly having breaks and these horrible pains that we couldn't figure out why they were there. And by the time I go to the doctor, they'd be my magically heal. I went through having, I've broken every single toe on my foot except for my big toes. I've had a million hairline fractures on my feet and the doctors couldn't figure out why this kept happening. So eventually we were being sent to all these different specialists and everyone's just confused. They were sending me to psychiatrists and therapists thinking, oh, well, she's just, she's going through a rough time. She's just stressed out. It's in her head. Oh, I was having a lot of GI issues because that's a thing that happens with Ehlers and you get every, every system's connected. Everything gets kind of messed up. So then we ended up going through this dietitian. I was told I had an eating disorder. I didn't have an eating disorder or anything. I just had Ehlers and my body didn't know how to function. I mean, it doesn't know how to function. Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to deal with my body. It wasn't until my sister got in a car accident and ended up having to go to some type of like physical therapy, physiatrist type pediatrician doctor to kind of help her through after she had these surgeries. And they kind of figured out, hey, her joints aren't normal. There's something going on here. And she got diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And my parents were like, okay, well, what is that? How does this affect her body? Like please explain. And so the doctor goes and says, well, it's a connective tissue disorder. It's a basically a faulty collagen gene and it affects pretty much everything's part of your body. You could have dislocations, broken bones. I have like really stretchy skin. Like it's ridiculous. You could have atropic scarring, like organ prolapses, just a whole bunch of just many, many, like all these different symptoms. And it can come along with other things such as POTS, which is a disorder where you can't really regulate your blood flow and you need a lot of salt in your diet in order to kind of stay conscious. My parents are sitting there and they're like, okay, you're like, well, you know, you're talking about this kid, but that doesn't sound like this kid. That sounds like that kid. Mm -hmm. And so the doctor's like, wait, hold on. Like the other kids have this one. And my parents were like, yeah, we've been trying to find a diagnosis for like years and years since I was like kindergarten. And at that point, I was a sophomore in college. Wow. And so the doctor helped them find a specialist for me to go to. And we went to the next doctor and they were like, we never, no one's looked at this before. And so they did, you know, the the, the fun little stretchy tests where they put you on a scale and like it's called the Brighton scale and it's basically like how flexible you are. Can you do mm-hmm. this move, that move type of thing? We call them farty tricks in the community. <laughs> Let's, like, were you using back. your, your no. special, were you using your special skills at, at parties, Melissa? Honestly, <laughs> when I was friends with people in school, they'd be like, why can you move like that? And I'd be like, I don't know. I just can but I passed with flying colors. So they're like, okay, well, we're going to send you to a geneticist. We're going to figure out what type you have. Well, it's been almost 10 years of trying to find all that. And I still don't know what type I have. We are down to either cardiovascular or just regular, like hypermobile. But we only know that based on symptoms because insurance won't mm-hmm. recognize that this would be a helpful 
term for treatment, they think treatment wouldn't change. So they won't cover the tests that are needed. What do the doctors say about that? The doctors don't agree and they've been fighting on my behalf for quite some time and just helping me kind of cope through physical therapy and figuring out what type of meds I'm going to need. What are some little tricks I can do on my own to help monitor what's going on with my body? And I'm kind of a rare individual where I'm like hyper aware of what's going on with my body at all times. So I'm very, very, very aware. Like if I have, uh, let's say a rib slips in and out of place, I, I know right away exactly what rib it is, where it is, why it hurts and what's going on. If I have a PFO, so a small hole in my heart and the shot, mm-hmm. I can tell you exactly when it's open and shut. And you usually can't really be aware of those things. But like I've been in scans and said, okay, it's open. And they're like, oh yeah, it's open. Like I have the scientific backing be like, hey, you know, she actually is aware of this stuff. So if I call the doctor now, because years and years and years being told in my head, now the doctors are like, okay, no, she's right. She knows what she's talking about. What kind of conversations do you and your sister have? So a lot of it is like, okay, hey, I'm calling you because I'm having this weird pain. And like, I can't really place like how it feels like. You know, when your hip pops out of place and she goes, yeah, it makes that weird pop and then it hurts on the inside. But like, it's like a weird deep pain. And it's just like, we just go off on like these tangents of like, how can we describe this? Or, hey, does your body do this weird thing? Like we went, I lived at my mom's house. We would be in the kitchen at like two in the morning eating like ramen noodles, like popping our hips in and out, in and out. Like, does yours do this? I don't want to walk a shit and be like, what is going on? That is some sister bonding, if I've ever seen any. That's really something. Now, have your parents been genetic tested in any way? Uh, my, my parents both had some symptoms, but not all. Like, my mom had POTS, but my dad didn't. My dad's very oh. hypermobile and my mom's not. So, like, we think it might come from both sides of the family, and but it's... It's not something that you have and all of a sudden you have, you're just like your whole body's deteriorating. And it's something that kind of happens over time. And so one person might have different symptoms than the next. We could have completely different types for all we know. And so like my mom could have one type, my dad could have another. We don't have any testing to back it up. We just kind of all call each other about our little medical mysteries and kind of read up on it and help each other through it. Have your parents pursued any kind of genetic testing? They were looking into it back when my grandmother was alive. She was going through a whole lot of medical problems before she passed. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of looking into doing some DNA testing back then. But like I said, it's a matter of like, will insurance even cover it? Or is there some type of DNA test that we can go get that's actually relatively affordable online? So we're kind of still looking into how to go about that. Uh-huh. It is it is expensive, as I understand it, the genetic testing. Yeah. So had your sister not gotten into an accident, and it's horrible that she did, but where do you think you would be still in this journey trying to figure out I I, a diagnosis? I don't think I would have any clue what was going I think my life would still be that mystery of going to all these specialists and being told, we don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, everyone has their physical mysteries and little things that happen to them. But once you've been told a million times that it's in your head or you, 
you just you're doing this for attention it it really gets to you and so I think I would still be in that depressed state I wasn't in high school how did you deal with your friends in terms of trying to explain to them your you didn't have a diagnosis so how how did you interact with friends and how do you how did you explain to them you know maybe there were times that you could hang out or do things how would you explain that to them and how would you cope with that so like i said depression was a really hard battle to go through i wasn't your average kid who could just go out and ride her bike around the neighborhood or anything like that there were so many times that I'd have to tell my friends, hey, no, I can't do that. I just, I don't feel good. Nothing. I'm in pain. I can't. And I ended up being completely kicked out of my friend group in high school because they decided that I wasn't worth their time. And that for a teenager, that was like a life crushing event. Looking back at it now, I think, well, you know, it's kind of better that that did happen because then I could move on. I wasn't, I met all these people who really didn't care about me in the slightest. They just, they wanted the next best thing and I wasn't it. And so I don't think it was like as big of a deal as it felt back then because it did lead me to finding the friends that I have now. It led me to finding my fiance and being where I'm at in life. But when it comes to like explain to my friends now, they're all very aware of what I go through and kind of helping me through it. They know, hey, if she's going through something, um, she might just need to talk. Honestly, like, like I don't care if they don't even listen. They can just have me on FaceTime and I can just vent. And they completely know that. They're like, no, they're not going to ignore me. Like they are all very good about that. Like for all I care, they don't have to listen because sometimes you, you do just need to talk. And they're completely aware of that. I'm also the person that they know that if they're having medical mystery that they can call and I'll probably find the answer before their doctors do because I've been my entire Mm -hmm. life in and out of medical facilities and having to do my own research. So I had a friend who ended up having to get her gallbladder removed and I'm the one who ended up finding it before the doctor did. No which doctor to go to to get the diagnosis. Well, she's lucky you have, she has you as a, as a friend for sure. Yeah, so, what, um, yeah. yeah. So, so it sounds like you've got a good, a good pack around you, supportive friends, of course, and family also. Throughout this journey, what kinds of physicians did you see to try to seek out the diagnosis? Besides, um, Physiatrists, I, I might mispronounce all of these, rheumatologists, psychiatrists, dietitians, regular family doctors. I've been to the OBGYN since I was like 12 because of random pains. Honestly, if you can name a physician, I've been to oncologists. I've been, if you can name a specialist, I've probably seen them. I'll put it that way. Have you had the did you have to travel at all for um, care? I'm very lucky that I live in a, like, I live in the biggest city in Nebraska, so I didn't really have to travel anywhere. I did try to get into places like the Mayo Clinic, but I was always, like, denied. So I never really had to travel. But I definitely had to go all over the city, like, 30 to 40 minutes to an hour across town to try to get to some of these appointments. Before you got your diagnosis then, what was your, and you were very young going through all of this and you're still young. How old are you, Melissa, if I can ask? Yeah. 
a lot to go through at a young age. What's your impression of the of the healthcare system at that age? When you're young and you're going through all this, you have this hope that I can just go to the doctor and get an answer. And when that doesn't happen and they just keep telling you, well, we don't know, we don't know. Well, maybe you need to go talk to someone because you're, you're just depressed. And when we're depressed or we get anxiety, we sometimes we just end up in pain. You're like, well, like, yeah, I'm depressed, but I'm only depressed because of this diagnosis that I'm not getting because I'm being told it's in my head. You start losing that hope. And that just keeps happening. It keeps happening. And you will say you're at a lot of pain. You go to the emergency room and you get told, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. And then you end up in emergency surgery a week later for that same pain. You're like, okay, well, obviously something was missed. They're not looking for what they need to be looking for. And it's really, really hard because you don't know who to go to and you're losing faith. There's a whole list of facilities that I've been to that I didn't, I didn't know what to expect from. To this day, I will refuse to go to an emergency room unless someone drags me because I just don't have any faith that I'm going to be getting treatment at all. And that's mm-hmm. after the five to six hour wait in the waiting room. That's that's unfortunate that you just are looking and hoping for something, someone to come along and give you the answer. Interesting, though, that your sister sounds like she got a diagnosis pretty yeah. quickly <laughs> after her her accident. Is that is that right? Yeah, it was. I mean, she went through stuff for a couple of years with many surgeries. So, I mean, I think it was about three years before she got that diagnosis. So it wasn't like a very short period of time, but it was from what I understand from like your average diagnosis journey, that is very, very fast. And uh-huh. so she uh-huh. very, very much lucked out that she just ended up with the right doctor at the right time, which from my understanding is when you least expect it is when it's going to happen. It's just going to, things just kind of play out. It's like fate. What kind of physician ultimately diagnosed her? I honestly have not a clue. This was about 13 years ago. Okay. Okay. What type of physician does she follow up with usually? We honestly just mainly go to our family doctors just because they're okay very much aware of what's going on. And if something comes up that they can't treat themselves, then they'll kind of send us to like a physiatrist or a rheumatoid or rheumatologist. I can't do words today. Good, good. Yeah. What physician or what kind of physician helps you the most? What do you like about him or her? Um, Makes them maybe different from some of the other doctors you've seen? So there is this amazing psychiatrist here in Omaha. He is absolutely amazing. I've never had a doctor help me as much as he has. He's very much into more of the sports medicine area. So he's very aware of how every single joint and system in your body kind of relates to each other and how they interact. And based on just talking to him the first time, I told him exactly how I was feeling, where it hurt, and why I thought it hurt. And he goes, okay, well, what are your other symptoms? Like, do you have pain anywhere else? Like, I don't care if you think it's unrelated. It's probably related. 
I've never had a doctor look at me and say, well, do you have any other issues? And this man put it together like a puzzle piece. I could see his brain working, like all the gears were turning. And he looks at me and he goes, I know exactly what's wrong with you. Yeah. He ended up getting me through the right set of physical therapy to help me through that problem right then. Within a week, I was better and I never had anything happen that fast. So he's really the doctor that gave me hope. Wow. So he he diagnosed you then, you would say? Not with Ehlers. I was already diagnosed by the time I found him, but he helped me through some major joint dislocations. Hmm. Yeah. So the diagnosing physician for the Ehlers was what kind of doc? I believe that was the rheumatologist that I was able okay. to get at it. Okay. Sure. Yeah. With EDS being so rare, and if there's folks out there who are looking for the diagnosis, I, I think it's great to be able to explain to them or tell them what kind of physician may be the one to diagnose you so that they at least have some direction on on where they could go to possibly get answers. So rheumatologists, yeah, rheumatologists and generalists uh, are the yeah. ones that are technically required to talk to. But if I'm being honest, a lot of the time your family physician can put a generic type connective tissue diagnosis on there. That way you can get seen faster because wait times for a lot of the specialists can be months. And you said you didn't get any genetic testing because insurance won't pay for it, right? Did you have any kind of genetic counseling, though, otherwise? I was able to see a geneticist, and this is the only one they've ever gotten me in with. As Like I said, wait times are really, really bad, and it was many years ago. And that kind of was what put a hold on my genetic testing for my insurance because he told me there was no possible way that I could have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome because it's too rare and I don't go to the emergency room enough. It didn't even look at my chart. Well, so after that, it was like, okay, well, we obviously don't need this doctor. If you're not even going to look at my chart, why am I paying you? So we didn't go back. So at this point, we're just kind of playing it by ear. We've been working with a rheumatologist about trying to get the genetic testing instead of the geneticist. Mm-hmm. What kind of so what kind of treatment are you on now for the EDS and what's working for you? So what works best for me is well I can't really do full things of physical therapy because insurance only covers so much and with someone with this type of condition you're going to be in there way more than they allow. So I have an amazing physical therapist who will work with me until I'm like okay and teach me anything that I need to know in order to kind of you know as far as exercises I can do that will help and then I have been going to different massage therapists because when your joints are all messed up that you kind of end up getting a lot of knots and just horrible tension in your muscles so I really it helps me personally to work that out and for that, with someone with Ehlers, they can make it worse. So unless like your body tolerates it okay, I wouldn't recommend it. But mine luckily has been very, very good with massage therapy. So mm-hmm. that's kind of more towards what we lean. It's just kind of gradual movements and making sure that I'm doing like daily exercises. The best thing that really helps me like 
day to day is just walking. I bring every my service dog out on a walk every single day, mm-hmm. sometimes multiple times. And I have complete faith in her that if something were to happen to me on this walk, that she'd be able to take care of me. And she's over here going, I'm getting a walk sore. But it helps. It's a win. It's a win-win, right? Muscles so that my joints don't necessarily fall out of place. Or I like doing mm-hmm. a lot of yoga because it helps kind of with my personal core and balance and be able to kind of breathe through the pain. Now, Melissa, you also said that you have pot. Yes. Right. Now, is that a, I'll call it a symptom of EDS or is that separate from EDS? I botch this word. So you have like your main diagnosis and then you have like this tree of other things that can happen because of those diagnoses. So you have other diagnoses as well. I believe they're called comorbidities. Comorbidities, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, you, you got it. Watch that. Trying <laughs> that at all. But, so that is a comorbidity. And I have others as well, such as Raynaud syndrome, which is blood pooling. Lovely in the winter when my fingers start turning purple. Mm. Or a big one in Nebraska, in Nebraska no oh, less, yeah. right? Great winters and very hot summers. Yeah. But a big one that I also have is mast cell activation disorder. So that's that one's a little bit harder to treat. But POTS, for the main part, I have Ivory, who really monitors what's going on here. If I'm going to pass out or whatever, she'll bring me to the kitchen and she'll, if I open the pantry and the bread, she'll actually bop with her paw or her nose what I need. Oh my gosh. So I, so I don't leave the house without like, something salty and something sweet. I need to watch the blood pressure, blood sugar, and make sure everything's okay. As far as mast cell goes, if I'm going to have like a really bad allergic reaction, she will make sure to like make like I'm good. Get me sitting down, grab the pill bottle that I need, typically Benadryl. And if anything else, like if I have a rash, let's say I break out into hives, she will grab the like the rash cream like the cortisone or something like that to try to help me through it and if there's someone around and I'm like I'm not home alone like she'll grab my fiance to kind of help me out she's very very good at retrieving people when needed yeah she's amazing and you've trained her so well she's uh I'm gonna be honest there I didn't do that much work you're so I don't know that's she's a miracle dog she needs her own Instagram I tried to get on that for a while, but it's just, it's, it's so hard to keep up with remembering to take pictures. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a full-time job for sure. So with, with everything that you're, you're going through, aside from physical therapy and massage, et cetera, are you on medications as well? Or is it more kind of these integrative modalities that are helping you most? So I am on medications. I have asthma. So and then with the mast cell, I'm on like every single type of allergy antihistamine that they can put you on along with if it gets really bad, like a prednisone or a ZPAC as needed. With that, Mm. they have to make sure they're monitoring like all the other symptoms that you can get from that any type of side effects and then as far as like anything else like pain meds muscle relaxants anti-inflammatory like i have all those types of meds and the doctors know if i need more they need to put it in but because of my mast cell i do have reactions to everything and like i can be good with taking let's say like a gabapentin one day and the next day i could have a bad reaction to it and it's like 
it's the same dosage. It shouldn't affect me that way. But unfortunately, your mast cells just decide when they're going to act up. And it's like, whatever. So I'm very, very careful about when I'm going to take a med, like, and like what I'm going to be doing. And if I have anything to counter react, any type of reaction, I have to have it on hand. So the majority of how I kind of approach medication is do I really, really, really need it? And am I in a position that I'm going to be okay if anything happens? And if the answer is, yeah, I'm good, then I'll take it. If not, like, let's say I'm in pain, I need to take a pain med. I will probably more likely kind of focus on breathing techniques, taking something like instead of like a pain med that I truly do need, I'll take like a Tylenol instead and kind of see how I react to that first. Or or like Mm -hmm. a heating pad or even just like, let's say pacing it out, going on that walk or just cuddling the dog. How do you think about talking with other people about how to deal with either mystery symptoms that you don't have a diagnosis for or just how to cope with having symptoms? How, what advice do you give other patients? Because I know you came, you came to me through Inspire, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about Inspire and how you found them and how they've helped you. But how do you, how do you talk with people about what you have and, and how to help them through the process of finding a diagnosis? So in finding out like how to talk to people was something that I was really, really prone to because I didn't I didn't know how to cope and I didn't have people to talk with me that way. I was looking for any type of support group that I could relate to. And unfortunately, around here, the only people that I knew back when I was looking for that that had elders and were going to a support group were elderly. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just wanted people my age. I wanted people I could relate Mm. to who are going through the same things, the same struggles I was going through as a young adult. And I didn't, I didn't find that. So I started reaching out towards other people on the internet and trying to find other people my age with elders. And at that point, I stumbled into a lovely organization called the Invisible Disabilities Association, and it was their CEO, Wayne, that introduced me to Inspire. I became an ambassador for the IDA, and I've been kind of talking with people ever since. And through my pageant platform, which focuses on the abilities of those with disabilities, instead of focusing on the diagnosis, it's who they are as a person. And I started a little support group, which is all virtual online, and we kind of talk about our diagnoses, what we're going through, if someone needs to vent about just even something stupid that's going on in their personal life. Like, we just, we allow it to happen. And people can come and go as needed if they don't want to listen to someone talk about this, they're not comfortable with it. They can be free to leave and pop back in whenever. And I really was searching to make a community like that, and then I found it on Inspire. And it felt really, really good to really like hear from other people instead of the three or four people that were just, you know, online on my virtual group. And then hearing about everyone else's diagnosis is what they go through. To have the ability to just go online one day and say, hi, I have these weird bruises on my face. This is a real sauce. Does anyone know how the heck this could have happened? I woke up and they were there. And just to have the replies of like, oh, this has happened to me too, is so validating because like you think these are just stupid little things you're never going to get an answer for. You're just going to have to let it go. And for someone else to be like, yeah, I've had that happen. 
this is what helped me. It might not help you, but it's a start. It's life-changing. And so to have that person or to be that person for someone else, I know how inspiring that is and the good that can come out of it. Do you still have your your group that you had started? Yes, I do. I've moved it to a community and, and just like an online thing through Instagram right now, just because it's mostly other pageant girls and that's the platform that they most likely to use. A lot of them okay. have like what I have with Ellers. So finding them was a bit of a blessing too, because they're all my age and we all have the same hobbies and outlooks on life. What would you advise someone to do when looking for a diagnosis? Again, especially if they're young and certainly you have family support, but what would you recommend for, for a young adult? So the first thing I would sell them is to don't give up hope. No matter how many no's you get, a closed, one closed door, it leads to another open door. And eventually you will get that yes. You will get that validation. But my biggest advice is to find others like you. Use the internet. It is your biggest resource. I don't care how many doctors tell you not to go to Dr. Google. They're using Dr. Google themselves. Do your research, but don't cling on to a diagnosis you think you have because it could be something else. And keep an open mind. And knowing what you know and your experience with the healthcare system, if you had the chance to talk with the CEO of a hospital, let's say, or some healthcare organization or pharmaceutical company, what would you want them to know about your experience? And what would you appeal to them in terms of what needs to be changed? What, the, what do you think they don't know or understand about a patient's experience? And I think uh, the average individual's experience is I'm fairly healthy. I'm going to the doctor because I, I have the flu or something like that. And I just, I need meds. And a typical day for a doctor is, okay, here's a person coming in. Here's symptoms. Here's the medication. We move forward. And when you have a doctor who's been in this for a long time, they kind of get in rhythm or something. It's like, my fiance is a house painter. He gets in the rhythm. He just paints the walls and he moves on to the next job. And you kind of get into the hang of it. But then someone comes in and they're just this big medical mystery. You have no idea what the symptoms are. So you're like, okay, look, I, I don't know. I'm going to send you the specialist. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, you could maybe give them a little bit of help and say, hey, I'm going to send you the specialist. If they don't have an answer, come back to me and we're going to kind of figure this out the way it is. Most of the time, in my experience, at least, it's been, you're too big of a problem. I don't want to deal with you. Go find someone else. And instead of getting that validation of, hey, I believe you, there's something wrong here. We're going to figure it out. It's been, you're just, I don't want to deal with you. You're too, too much. I want the, I want the easy way out. Instead of, you know, someone who took an oath who's like, okay, well, there's something wrong with you. We're going to figure it out. That's my job. I'm going to do a little bit of research myself and we're going, we're going to figure this out together. Call me if anything changes. We'll figure it out. Here's, here's some treatment for the, in the meantime, we're going to treat the symptoms. It's just when something's thrown out the door, you don't know what to do anymore. And I feel like a lot of hospitals and doctor's offices, they don't, they don't hear about people who have the chronic illnesses because they're focused on every other person that's coming in maybe once or twice a year. And that's their average mm -hmm. clientele. 
even what the chronic diagnoses are going to every single specialist they can because they're desperate and desperate for that. This is exactly what it is, diagnosis. And they just, they lose hope because they're not going to get it. And it, they could get it if they just had that little bit of extra effort put in. I recall when you and I first talked and you had mentioned the word gaslighting. For you, how would you describe that? For me, gaslighting, I mean, truly it's like you're looking at someone and they're clearly in pain and you're telling them you're fine. Get off. You're faking it. Like, I know this is a joke. Like, you're joking right now. Get off the bed. Stop crying. That's why are you being like that? And that's what I've gotten. I've been in the hospital screaming in pain. My appendix is going to burst and being told by a nurse, you need to calm down. You're being too loud. We're trying to send you home. There's nothing wrong with you. And when that happens, like you're clearly in pain. You're not faking it. You know they're just telling you that because they don't want to deal with it. And that hurts. And it can be deadly. I mean... You end up in emergency surgery, not even an hour later. And you're just like, yeah, that's what I, I was telling you. I was in pain. I was screaming. I wasn't faking this for attention. I don't want any type of pain meds that you could just send me home with. I want an answer. I want this to stop. And when you're being gaslit, it's all in your head. You're joking. Stop. You just want attention. It's going to go one or two ways. You're either going to get really, really upset because you want that answer, or you're going to start to question yourself. And you're going to get down to the dumps because no one believes you. And then you start to go down the path of, well, maybe it is all in my head. Maybe I'm just insane. And that is a very, very scary place to go. Scary and, and frustrating mm-hmm. when someone doesn't believe you. Yeah. So as we, we wind down here, Melissa, how do you feel now about having EDS and all of the other things that go with it now compared to where you were before, before you had the diagnosis? Before I have the diagnosis, I feel like every little symptom that I had, every dislocation that I didn't know was a dislocation was just like this life-crushing thing. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was desperate for an answer that I didn't think I was ever going to get. And when I got that diagnosis, the first thing I thought was, how is this going to affect my future? I was petrified. I mean, I was so thankful to finally have an answer. But at the same time, I was like, this is a big deal. Like every single one of those horrible pains where I couldn't move my arm, that was that was a, a whole dislocation. Like, that's not supposed to just fall out like that. Is it going to get worse with my, like what I was doing in my life? I was in gymnastics for years. I could have been like horrible. I could have ended up paralyzed if I landed wrong. And wow. so my mind was reeling with this like, what if? And then eventually I was just like, but you know what? I, that didn't happen. And I will hit. Now I know what it is, why it's doing that. And I can treat it. I could talk to a doctor and tell them exactly what's going on. And if they tell me it's not, I know I can move on because they don't believe me. And I have that answer now. And so now I've kind of come to terms with it. I know what my body's doing. I know why it's doing it. 
And I know different coping mechanisms that I can use to kind of help myself with it. And it's taken so many years to get to this point where I feel like, yes, having Ehlers is a pain in the rear end and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But it is my life and that is part of what's going on. If I have a dislocation to this day, if I can, which is most of the time I can do stuff myself and put it back in, I'll just, you know, shove stuff back in and keep going. I know how to put the stuff back in now and it's not a guessing game of what's going on. It's, I know, and I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. Well, you are very positive, hopeful, and inspirational for such a young lady. Any final advice or thoughts, words you might have for someone listening to your story and what kind of hope you might hope that they get from what you had to say today? Answers come from the most surprising and just insane areas that you never know what's going to happen. One horrible event could lead to the next amazing event and life is going to throw you for a week, but I promise it's worth it. You will get your answers. You will get through this and you are worth it. That is a fabulous way to wrap up here. I want to thank you so much for telling your story and you are lovely and I wish you all the best because you have something very happy going on later this year, right? I am getting married to the love of my life this October. Very, very exciting. Well, thank you, Melissa. And maybe we can have you back and have you check in and let me know how things are going, have you back on or just an update for you that I can let everyone know that you're doing well and and pushing forward. So thanks so much for your time and I wish you well. Thank you. Oh my goodness, that's a wrap on another compelling story. Thanks for listening to the Desperate for a Diagnosis podcast. If you would like more information about today's guests or to find out more about Laura, me, go to desperateforadiagnosis.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow show updates and healthcare news on the podcast's Facebook page. If you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you have any questions, advice, or suggestions for our guests, please email me at lauramarie at desperateforadiagnosis.com.